welcome to the 25th episode of Total Pod Mode, your weekly gaming podcast. My name is Will, and I also go by Hoodafunk, and I'm joined here by my good friend, co-host, and fellow gaming enthusiast, James, aka Mr. Bames. What's cracking, you dynamically dynastic duckies? Good to be here with you, man, for another week. I'm looking forward to getting into another chapter of Mass Effect for Completionist's Corner. Yeah, man, good times ahead. Bit of Vermeer, bit of exploring, some story beats, some deaths maybe. Oh, lots to cover, lots to cover. And before that, we have some pretty interesting news coming up. Love me some interesting news. Intriguing, intriguing. Okay, man, before we get too deep into the podcast, let's crack on with the socials. You can, as always, find the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts by searching for Total Pop Mode. We also post regular video content of our playthroughs, stream highlights, as well as the podcast on our YouTube channel, Total Pop Mode. You can also find us on Twitter by searching for at Total Pop Mode, all one word. Or you can find me at Hoodafunk on Twitter, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Hoodafunk. And you can find me on Twitter at Mr. Bames, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Mr. Bames underscore TPM. Other than Mass Effect this week, have you managed to cram in any time elsewhere? Uh, the short answer is no. No, I haven't, really. Um, <laughs> oh, right, okay. So I have... Mass Effect kept you busy or just not much time to play games in general? I wouldn't... No, Mass Effect didn't really keep me busy. It, um, that was probably an evening's work. Right, but okay, yeah, yeah. I did get some gaming in, don't get me wrong, um, but I've only got one game to talk about, which is Risen, once again. And the first thing I'd like to do is actually give a little take back. Not quite an apology, but I, was, okay. I just uh, misremembered something. Lay it on me. On last week's episode, I said that I thought that I'd probably get Risen done quite quickly, unlike things like Assassin's Creed Odyssey, um, because I remembered it being a shorter game. Uh, turns out mm-hmm. I misremembered. I do not know whether this is because of the fact that I'm a bit of a completionist and therefore have spent a lot of time in Chapter 1. Doing the kind of basic side quests, kill some cows, chop down some wood, maybe. Which, funnily enough, one of the last missions I did was kill a couple of cows. That's hilarious. There you go. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, pretty much exactly that. Yeah, just sort of getting all the side quests done. Um, because of the way this game works, Piranha Bytes game, once you picked your faction, you sort of can potentially get locked out of certain quests. So I want to get everything done before it's fully, fully locked in. I have already picked my faction. Uh, I'm doing it a different way to the time I did it when I played, I want to say, in about... 2010 2011 Um, back then i picked the inquisitor's side which is sort of um funnily enough following on something we said last week they're the sort of staff wielding sort of almost monk class but they're the mages so they get access to like the full-on magic and things like that but this time i'm going for the sort of the bandit faction um headed up by a chap called don esteban like is it spanish inspired or Uh, a lot of them are yeah it's meant to be the spanish inquisition i think nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. Right, and it's okay. like, I don't know what it is, but it was the same in Gothic as well. Like a lot of the names of NPCs were Spanish. Like one of the sort of key figurehead NPCs that carries through the Gothic series is called Diego, for example. Right. Are they a Spanish studio, Branabites? I could be completely off base. I thought they were German or Polish. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. But no, having fun doing something a bit different. I don't think it's going to change too much in terms of missions and mission structure and things like that, but I'll get different story mm. beats. I mm. get slightly different dialogue options. I'm a bit more of a bastard than I was in my first playthrough being a bandit. Nice. Yeah. Is it something akin to Mass Effect in terms of your dialogue options? No, not really. It's not as obvious what's the evil response and what's the paragon response in terms of the blue highlight, the red highlight in Mass Effect. Oh, right. Yeah. But you do get a bunch of different options of things you can say. You can say absolutely every single one of them and get all of the different options or you can just do one, leave the rest sort of thing. It's quite freeform in that regard. Do you have to have a certain amount of points in your skill tree? for either charming or intimidate oh, for instance well, there's to no skill tree there's no skill no no, no. <laughs> right, it's okay. a piranha bias game man these these well like skill slots then do you have skill uh, slots you don't have there's no upgrade points to speak of you is do there? get upgrade points but it doesn't really work like that right okay do you just level up and it affects a specific attribute each no time not at all you, you level up and it it only increases your health you okay. have to go to right. various trainers throughout the, the world um, oh right you think you did mention this briefly last week yeah um but you, you have to go to them and then you spend your learning points and money to get like a plus five in a stat or increase your swordsmanship skill or if you want to go the thief route you can learn how to lock picks but there's only you get a level cap on each one and you then have to have master trainers to give you like the final level of certain things sounds kind of closer to an mmo than the things I'm more used to playing. Kinda. I know exactly what you mean. Kind of like Guildmasters, I'm thinking, yeah, of, I guess. I, I know what you what you mean. 
it's not quite like that, but I do know what you mean and where you're coming from. Mm. I'm trying to think if there's another game I can think of that does anything like it, but the only other one would be Gothic, which is basically the same game. So, <laughs> yeah, um, and another game that I haven't yeah, played. So. <laughs> So you mentioned that this game was longer uh, than you expected mm. it to be. Just how much progress do you think you've actually made since uh, last episode and how much further do you reckon you'll be until you get to the end? So I think my file is in total 17 hours, 17 and a bit hours, something like that. I thought I'd be done by now from my mm. memory. That's mm. I thought it might be a 20-hour game at most. Right. I don't remember how long Chapter 2 and Chapter 3 and if there is a chapter four, are uh, typically in these games, chapter one is the longest one, purely for the reasons I've sort of outlined previously. That I typically will try and do all the side shit that I can in this one, which means it's all gone for the next ones. Yeah, yeah. But I, I honestly couldn't tell you. I think I looked up on how long to beat, and I think it said to do absolutely everything. You're looking at, I want to say it was twenty seven and a half hours, uh, but I, re- I can't remember. I can see myself being slightly under that. So potentially another, say, ten at most hours. I reckon so. But but again, I could be misremembering. I might f- around. Like, I don't know. There might be loads more cows to kill. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. Fifty experience per cow. It's quite good. Good little good return on investment. Absolute money maker. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but I think the most experience I've got from killing an enemy so far is 160. So 50 is actually pretty decent. Just uh, just over three cows to every gargoyle. I mean, that's pretty good conversion. Yeah. It's mostly humans, actually, honestly. Humans, wolves, and kind of ostrich-type things called sea vultures. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Do they have the legs of ostriches under the water? Or? Oh, they're not in the water. Like, you can't go in water in this game. They're called sea vultures because they hang out by like beaches and stuff. Right, but they're sort okay, of they're land based okay. and they they yeah but bi- seaside vultures they're bipedal like big old long legs but they can still fly at you a little bit they're, they're kind of cool but yeah no it's it's very good fun I'm getting a lot of nostalgia from it a big trip down memory lane and the good thing about me playing Risen One again is a they've added achievements to it with the latest patch always good big thumbs up for me literally doing it on the camera but <laughs> there you go can't see that it's great <laughs> podcasting mate you fool. But also, I've got on my list of games that I need to complete that I've started, Risen 2 is there, and I'm probably about halfway through that. So hopefully finishing Risen, which I think I will do like relatively quickly. I know I've just said that it won't be as quick as I thought it was, but I'd like to think I'll get that done in the next couple of weeks. And uh, whilst I don't think I'm going to play Risen 2 straight away afterwards, I think it will give me some impetus to go back in, and I won't be completely off base with the controls and things, so I can just pick it up. But yeah, so how about you, man? Have you uh, got anything in this week apart from a bit of Mass Effect? I managed to cram a couple games in, as you sort of mentioned there, out of the usual, really. Uh, So I cracked on this week with a little bit of Stardew Valley. We're still in the midst of winter, although I think I'm in my last sort of five to ten days of winter. So we'll be getting ready for spring shortly. Presumably it's the 30 day. Uh, 28 days uh, for each season. And at that point, I'm pretty much all set. I've actually started installing some kegs and some preserve makers around so I can start chucking my veggies in and uh, making some cool preserves. And I think essentially at that point, I don't know that you need anything other than just the veg. You might need something like sugar or something if you can make that or buy that probably from the Joja market. Can't use the Joja market, mate. They're the enemy. They are the enemy, but Pierre is the bigger threat here, really. I mean, basically, if I need to, I'll be buying my stuff from Joja Market with the ultimate aim of beating them. But Pierre, it's like a sworn mortal enemy. There's no just beating Pierre competitively at farming. I need to destroy this guy down to the core. That's fair, yeah. Cutting at his profit and loss and his family, like it. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And then stealing his daughter. Hey, you you see your grandkid Pierre? That's mine, bitch. You asshole. But I don't let the kid call him granddad. No, of course. Uh, so I'm hoping that the kegs and the preserve makers are going to earn me a little bit more money than just the base vegetables that I'm growing at the moment, although I haven't really had much of a chance to see how much that'll earn me because I just about got round to putting all the sprinklers in on my farm just as winter hit. But I finally managed to get rid of the giant meteor in my garden nice. after upgrading to the golden pickaxe and it dropped me some iridium ore. I'm still not at level 100 in the mines and I think there's a lot more to do there. So at that point, I, I still need to 
kind of catch up now in the mines so that I can actually start mining iridium. The level I'm at now, there seems to be a lot of silver and gold. Uh, at this point, I, I need to progress a bit further. Although my pickaxe and my axe are like the only things that I've actually bothered to upgrade so far. I haven't really seen a use for much of the... Oh, that's a lie as well. I, I upgrade my fishing rod as well. I've got an iridium fishing rod, in fact. So actually, I suppose... The... I'm imagining a bright purple fishing rod like in Borderlands Iridium. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, I mean, the uh, Iridium in uh, in Stardew Valley does sort of, like, kind of shimmer purple. Ooh. Shared universe? It's not... It's Stardew be. Valley on Who Pandora? Knows? Stardew Valley is, like, the other side of Pandora, the, like, the utopian side. Nice. Kind of, like, dark side of the moon. Yeah, like it. And other than Stardew Valley, uh, I went back to Vampire Survivors. And nice, nice. That's I, I say I went back to as if there was ever a time when I stopped playing it. I, I, <laughs> I do genuinely, whenever I catch myself in a quiet 10 minutes, find myself playing another round of yeah, Vampire Survivors. for having a like it. Disgusting! <laughs> Basically, <laughs> definitely a game of Vampire Survivors yeah. when you're taking a Yeah, nice. Uh, so that actually kind of answers my next question, which is going to be, are you still on mobile or have you played more on the PC? But mobile presumably you know i did stick it on on the pc for about five minutes sort of thing just to sort of see how it controlled and honestly weirdly i've, I've played it for so long now on the phone that obviously i'm better yeah. at it on the phone number one and also weirdly i find the fact that the and this sounds ridiculous given that every other form of media i play in is in the sort of uh horizontal position yeah. whereas i'm actually looking at this in portrait and i actually don't like horizontal <laughs> <laughs> the widescreen position of, of vampire survivors that's I fair enough yeah. looking at in the, in the portrait because that's just kind yeah. of how i've gotten used to playing now weirdly yeah, no, that's perfectly fair but i did unlock three new characters uh two of which i've actually managed to play through nice i think one of them i managed to unlock because i finally upgraded the clock lancet which is quite difficult to do in the game you need to get to a certain point in the game where the gold and silver rings are spawning on all of the maps one of them i think it increases enemy health damage right. and number of them okay in real time is that sorry so like you walk through a golden ring and then more enemies will just appear I have actually seen what looks appears to be like blossoming groups of enemies, actually, oh, yeah. Okay. But there is, it does get to the point where they just absolutely swarm. But then the other side of that, I think, is that the, it's some sort of weapon. I think it kind of, it emanates like a, a blast around you. So it just does like a constant wave of low level damage. Like Imagine something a bit like the garlic, but it's a bit, yeah, it's a bit like a pulsating garlic Got, yeah, pretty okay. much essentially. Because the garlic doesn't do consistent damage, does it? There's like a tempo yeah, to the yeah, damage yeah, yeah. that see, the garlic yeah, does, mean, yeah. sort of thing. It's not, it's not damage um, over time in the traditional sense. It's... Exactly, it's like yeah. It's not like a smooth slider of the health bar yeah. going down. Yes, yeah. right. Uh, so you finally get the rings, you get them fully upgraded, you have the clock lancet, and then you unlock the evolved version of that, which is called the Infinite Corridor. Ooh. And that essentially, everyone around you, it halves their current health, which is fantastic for when a boss arrives, yeah. because it just absolutely chunks them out. And there is a bit of a curse to picking up this gold and silver ring as well, which is the fact that you do have two bosses spawn each time you you pick them up one for each ring once you've killed them they don't come back but they have a hell of a lot of health uh which is is pretty difficult to deal with unless you've got a pretty clear battle plan or way of dealing loads of damage yeah. and even then they still do take quite a long time to drop compared to your average boss yeah fair. I, I can't comment too much so i don't think i've got too many bosses if any you would have definitely gotten to some but i think you would have had a harder time spotting them but they're essentially the guys that just drop chests when you kill them like in the first level you would have fought a giant praying man and I know you fight a load of smaller ones, say, but yeah. there's one or two that spawn that are giant and they drop a, a chest that gives you items when you kill I know exactly what so you mean. I just never saw them around. as bosses. I thought, I thought yeah, they were absolutely. Like That's what I mean. large enemies, basically. It was kind of similar for me as well. Is I, I found out that they were what they were by looking at the item descriptions, but I didn't realize they'd been fighting bosses at that Got point. Yeah. They didn't have a name above their no, head exactly. and they didn't have a, a visible health exactly. bar. No, so no red bar appeared off the bottom of the screen and the music didn't become ominous. How are you meant to know? Yeah. <laughs> Other than that, uh, the two characters that I actually managed to play, one was called Pugnala, and she shoots sort of like four-way bullets in a sort of X formation, so you can almost stand still or just rotate around in circles, and they have like a really good damage as well as pretty fast projectile speed, so they kind of fly over the screen, and you can get good coverage on the screen with it. That was pretty fun, uh, and then Marabio is my favourite character so far. He has a weapon called the Thousand Edge. Nice. 
which essentially it just fires just an absolute deluge of knives all the time constantly and it's to the point where you can have probably maybe like a hundred of these projectiles on screen at once and because the projectile speed is so slow you can almost fire the bullets in front of you and then if you have an upgrade to increase your movement speed you can kind of paint bullets in front of you and then run catch up to them then paint more bullets and then run and catch up to that double stacked layer of bullets and paint more bullets into it so sort of imagine you're sort of able to control time and firing a machine gun in front of you and then every so often you sort of run into the bullets that are ahead and just add more bullets to yeah, the pile yeah. that's traveling forward and you can obviously you can you know increase the width of that bullet cloud that's traveling or you can focus on just pure density and i've just been having a real fun time running around and just kind of covering the screen in these throwing knives essentially that are really slow traveling nice that does sound really cool the individual throwing knives pretty cool on its own so imagine imagining a cloud of them oh know? yeah and it truly is a cloud of them absolutely the downside to that character unfortunately is that because the projectile speed is so slow on those knives it's also very slow for all the other weapons so you do need to use other than those knives you probably are best using things like the garlic the holy bibles and stuff that's good at sort of protecting you without you having to move around too much yeah just to sort of keep your back covered. But as long as you stay within your cloud of knives, you're just completely safe and insulated from any damage. And they do so many hits that they just absolutely melt all the bosses, including the ones I mentioned before that appear when you have the silver and the gold rings. Those ones, even though they have loads of health, you can kill them very, very quickly with with that character. That's what we like to hear, man. You can't actually upgrade the Thousand Edge. It just does its base level of damage not surprised so it sounds kind of, op as it is <laughs> yeah it's it's massively op yeah. so it's it's yeah it's kind of you've got a winning level weapon right at the start of the game but just the one and as i say you know there is the the sort of the debuff to the rest of your weapons yeah worth the trade-off though yeah like i said it just it melts some of the hardest bosses in the game just that one ability so you don't really need anything else Fair, yeah. <laughs> yeah i've just been having uh, a fun time on that i just the only reason i mentioned it is because some of those characters are slightly harder to unlock you have to find pugnala in the ancient forest there's kind of a coffin that you'll find on the map and it's guarded by a load of enemies around it and you have to kill all of them and then actually free her from the coffin and once you've done that you unlock her for your next playthrough other than that uh yeah as you can probably tell i haven't had a great amount of time if i'm playing you know one of the games i'm mentioning this week is a mobile game <laughs> and uh stardew valley is is a switch game sort of thing so I, I did you know i did crack on with a little bit more of the spirits mode in smash bros but really nothing more to mention there i'll save that for another week Alright man, I think that's enough of a catch-up. Let's move on to the gaming news. Okay, so coming hot off the press today, which will, I suppose, be not so hot off the press uh, by the time of this episode (laughs) release in a couple days' time. The Last of Us PC port has been delayed. Surprise, surprise. Honestly, uh, you know, with the the state of PC games that have been coming out at the moment, uh, Dead Space being the latest addition to that pile of games that have had a pretty rocky PC release. Looking at you, Callisto Protocol. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, as I say, it's, it really is a mounting pile. Yeah. So I think that this is a wise decision. And uh, I think this is quite reassuring news. And I, I personally think that Last of Us will release in a similar state to what God of War did on the PC, which is very well optimized, looking great, looking probably the best it's ever looked if you got the graphics card for it and uh i think that this is definitely well i mean for you this could be your first tiptoes into the last of us series you did say on a previous podcast that you wanted to play the games before you watch the tv series so do you think that uh this might lure you in as a sort of a, a fairly early buy on the release or are you going to wait for a while price, till this? No. not a full price no. no what do you reckon this will be a full price game 100 percent. sony port it'll be minimum 40 pounds Oh, well, that, that's not a full price game this days, man. Yeah, but for the age it is, that's full price. Yeah, for the age it's, yeah, yeah but I and, mean, if they, and if And if they're bringing the remaster on, then it'll be 50, 60 quid comfortably. Oh, it'll definitely be. It's The Last of Us Part 1, which is the remaster. So you think that it's going to be around the sort of the 50, 60 quid price range? If that's England, what Dead or? Space is, Dead Space is 50 quid, it'll be the same. Dead Space is 50, yeah. yeah. And God of War was 40, 35, 40. God of War was 40, yeah, I believe. So it'll, yeah. it'll be that sort of price point. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm fully expecting to see this on the marketplace for 40, 50. Yeah. Do we know when it was initially going to be released? So I'll just quickly give you a little excerpt from the statement that they issued on Twitter. We initially announced The Last of Us Part 1 PC release will be March 3rd, but we've decided to push its launch day out by just a few weeks. It will now be released on March 28th. Oh, that's not too bad, we at the studio have been completely blown away by the outpouring of love and support for The Last of Us these last few weeks. Hearing your love for the HBO adaptation, seeing your beautiful photo mode shots, and learning about the world and characters our studio created nearly a decade ago continue to reach new and old fans alike flaws us every day. We know a lot of you have been revisiting the story that started it all with The Last of Us Part 1 on PlayStation 5, and we realise many of you have been excited to jump in, some for the first time, when Part 1 hits PC. Hello, that's me. And, and a small handful of other people. So the statement just goes on, essentially, to say that they are waiting to make sure that The Last of Us PC debut releases in the, in the best shape possible, and the additional few weeks will allow them to ensure this version lives up to the standards. The fact that it's only been delayed by, what, three weeks? That makes me think it's nothing major. Yeah, this thing's pretty much ready to go. Yeah. One hot potato. Exactly. Interesting that this story comes up, though, because I did actually... <laughs> we won't dwell on this because I don't think it's worth it just yet. But um, in the ongoing Microsoft Activision Blizzard saga, funnily enough, uh, I believe it's Activision are using the success of The Last of Us on HBO as a reason for why this merger isn't a problem. It's just <laughs> like, oh, yeah, see, Sony, your IPs are hot man you do the- halo got a tv show yeah. last of us got a tv exactly. show same same see exactly. you don't need you don't need that cod money you're good wow okay well it's funny that we i mean that. it's it's interesting as a as a as a franchise i don't think it has the same weight behind it quite as call of duty but it has sort of made it into a more general audience it yeah. has potential to grow exactly just i thought that was quite interesting again probably not worth covering because i don't think it's actually a story it's just what someone acted i think it was activision i hope i'm not getting that wrong but yeah it's just what they've speculated but uh quite funny Inter- I don't think it's a it's a very good argument, but it's it's an interesting point. I'm sure there's an argument the, in there somewhere. As you can tell, I didn't yeah, read well, up too much, and I saw the headline, so I think it's more just kind of an indication of just how on the needle uh, the Last of Us currently is. Yeah. Doing very well. Keep on reading that the episodes are good. So apparently, Joel has a lot more sympathy. I think Pedro Pascal is playing him too well. I'm your daddy. Okay, man, so next on the menu of articles for today, Kratos's Leviathan Axe keeps turning up places. What does it even mean? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what it means. It's part of a live from PlayStation 5 promotional event. What does it really mean, James? What does it actually mean? Do you want me to tell There's you what it actually axe, means? What it actually what, like, what means? What it actually means? No, no, what it actually oh, means. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I, I, it's fine. As Will has put there, what it actually means. Actually means. What it actually means is that uh, Sony are running up quite the carbon footprint. That's what it actually means. They're lugging around this massive Leviathan axe, yeah. chucking it in a cargo container every few days. It was in London four days ago at the time of recording, I believe. It's now popped up in QA. Yep. What's going on? And just for context, this isn't like a Leviathan axe that you could hold and swing about. This is like a big f***ing, like, sculpture like i'm, ta- I'm yeah, talking this isn't like-, even like a buster sword this is actually um you know this thing would flatten your car yeah. if you dropped it on it if it was weighted <laughs> so i guess what i'm getting at here james is is this just part of a live for ps5 promotion event in terms of the fact that kratos is basically one of the front runners of the uh, playstation franchise at this point or is this a potential hint at some upcoming god of war content perhaps they didn't really release any proper dlc for the original god of war game outside of a few cosmetic things here and there be interesting to see if they do anything for god of war ragnarok i think given the success of it it's, it's highly likely likely that we might see a story DLC at some point. I don't know enough about Santa Monica's sort of roadmap for that sort of thing. Uh, as you mentioned there, the first game didn't have any DLC, and I would argue that that was a more popular game. Admittedly, it's had longer to sort of get into the zeitgeist and things, but did that need it? No. Does Ragnarok need it? I don't know. I've only played God of War, first one of the new set, and I don't think that needed a DLC at all. I think they got the pacing of that just right. Yeah. Agreed. Um, yeah. And I don't think for a minute that they will have regressed in that regard for Ragnarok, but haven't played it, so don't know. The joke would be, is is, is it going to be like an Assassin's Creed type deal? And the fact that this axe has turned up in QA, are we going to get Kratos and Atreus moving from 
the Norse mythology into Persian mythology or something like that. But no, uh, I don't think they will do DLC, personally. Uh, I can see it, and I think it'd be successful if they do. I just don't think they'll do it. Bear in mind that this game only came out in, what, November? Yeah. Probably just doing more promotional materials for it at this stage. I mean, it's only been a couple of months. They're probably just trying to get the word out there more. Yeah, stir up a few more sales after the winter influx. And uh, yeah, we're getting to February now. Time to start a bit more of a marketing campaign again. Exactly, and if they've, you know, with Xbox doing their Developers Direct and they have their summer showdown or whatever the f*** it was called that we discussed last week, is this just sort of marketing for a PlayStation exclusive event? Or just marketing amongst an Xbox event. You've got to stay relevant, you know? Keep your name out The rumour and innuendo is that they're not doing E3 again. Uh, neither are Xbox, and I think that was another big name that aren't doing it either. So maybe they're just sort of gearing themselves up for their own Direct, if you like. Seems like uh, everyone's pulling out of E3 these days. Yeah. And speaking of pullouts, James, i got another pullout for you. EA cancels single-player game set in the Titanfall and Apex Legends universe. This was a game that was yet to be confirmed, highly rumoured, all but confirmed. The game was codenamed Titanfall Legends, or TFL, Transport for London. London Underground. Literally gotten your two games from that universe and smushed them together. <laughs> yep, uh, yep, yep. <laughs> Project Apex Fall. Oh, Apex Fall. It's better, isn't it? What do you reckon? Titanfall Legends or Apex Fall? I think Apex, I think Apex, Apex Fall is better, good. yeah. It's a better abbreviation, AF, yeah. than TFL. So the axed game was set to be a single-player game directed by veteran designer Mohamed Alavi, best known for his work on the first two Modern Warfare titles. So, uh, you know, we mentioned Call of Duty a little bit earlier in the episode, and I think that it sounds like it could have had quite a bit of promise, but this is kind of amongst, uh, I guess, a wave of other cancellations and delays announced by EA. So I know that Jedi Survivor uh, has been delayed by six weeks, I believe, quite recently, the announcement for that was. And they've also recently canned Battlefield Mobile as well as the ongoing work on Apex Legends Mobile as well. Uh, so again, these are sort of, you know, smaller projects that probably wouldn't have earned them as much revenue, I'd imagine, given the current market for mobile gaming and the the sort of brand loyalty that there seems to be yeah. out there. I don't think that anyone's going to be, considering the uh, release of 2042, anyone's going to be jumping off of PUBG Mobile to uh, check out Battlefield Mobile. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a world that's alien to me, man. I mean, I, I know that these things are on mobile, but why would you play that shit on mobile when you can play it on a console? I just don't get it. I think, honestly, a lot of the market for those games are actually foreign countries where accessibility to sort of laptops and computers and home consoles and things like that are less less popular. Yeah. Uh, PUBG has a huge scene in India. Right. If you actually go through your YouTube browser bar and you can flick through the games, you have like PUBG, PUBG Mobile, and then PUBG Mobile India. And it's like, <laughs> it's got its whole own bracket oh, sort of thing. It's, a, it's an industry out there. <laughs> it's, as I say, it's a world I'm not a part of, so... I actually, I was uh, browsing through TikTok the other day and I saw a video of a dude who has uh, a fully realistic gun and he has a kind of where your red dot sight would be. He has kind of like a gorilla camera thing for his mobile phone. Right. And he's got one of those squidgy floor things where you can kind of run on the spot in your VR right. suit thing. Yeah. Obviously his phone is completely mapped gyroscopically to his aim down sight. So he's suspended. He's running on the spot. It's all mapped into the game, and everywhere he aims the gun, that's how he looks around instead of dragging his finger across the phone screen. And you think you would expect someone to be playing VR with this. I'd never seen someone play with a tiny little phone screen on front of their gun yeah. and be taking it so seriously. But this guy was insane. He was getting loads of kills and stuff like that. I can't remember the name of the uh, the channel, but uh, yeah, it was really impressive. Yeah, there you go. That's some dedication there. I mean, if you've got the money to afford all of that, just get yourself a gaming yeah, Just buy a PC, dude. <laughs> Dude, yeah, what are you doing? Your mouse Fair and keyboard would be quicker than a f***ing gun with a phone on it. Exactly, no, exactly, know. yeah. Well, no, he was really good at it, honestly. I can believe he was all it, over yeah, the I can place. believe it. Yeah. yeah, he had a lot of control over that thing. That definitely wasn't his first rodeo. But um, just going back to the cancelled TFL. Yeah. Just quickly on this, do we know if Respawn were involved in this as well? Presumably they are, right? I would I would very much expect so, given their involvement on Titanfall yeah. and the Apex Legends series. Yeah, that's kind of the, the Titanfall Apex studio. Yeah, I just wonder whether it would have been impacted at all by the Survivor's delay, because that's Respawn too. I mean, I wouldn't have thought that would cancel the whole f***ing thing, but interesting to think about. It's probably part of a bigger shift amongst EA that we're seeing. And, yeah. and They're about to lose all their f***ing money where they lost the FIFA license, right? That's their cash cow. There we go. So, yeah. yeah, you know, it could all be part of that, yeah. some sort of downsizing and dropping off of smaller projects that aren't likely to be as profitable. Well, a shout-outs to Wild Hearts. I think that's EA, and that comes out soon. That looks f***ing great. 
Yes, that is something to be excited about. No, I'm really looking forward to hearing more about that. Yeah. EA's answer to Capcom's Monster Hunter. Yeah. Just very quickly, going back to Titanfall Legends, though, it sounds like this is a bit of a shame. I really enjoyed uh, the Titanfall 2 campaign. I know that it wasn't really a focus in the first one, but they really pulled it back for Titanfall 2. Very enjoyable campaign. The levels were really well thought out. The pacing was very good. The boss fights were fun. It put you into a lot of sort of set action pieces that worked really well and presented you with kind of different plays on the gameplay for each level as well. It always felt like you were in a completely different setting or you were, for that level, granted an ability, things like time control and stuff like that, to be able to to traverse in ways that you hadn't previously. So really, really fun. I have to take your word for it. I didn't get very far at all. I got very bored. I can imagine why you probably wouldn't vibe with it straight away. Yeah. I think part of it was probably because I picked it up for three pounds, and so I wasn't invested in it from that right, regard. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. I picked it up because I'd heard Titanfall Two is excellent. You should get it. Then I just. I, I seem to remember there was like an assault course thing at the start of the game. Yes, and that, yeah, that's and that right. That pissed me off a lot because I couldn't do very well in it. <laughs> uh, right, it takes it does take quite a lot of getting used yeah. to the the free running and stuff. It works very well, but it's easy to muck it up and it's easy to do it in a way that actually costs you momentum as yeah. opposed to keeps it going. It's sort of thing. That, yeah. It's something that I would recommend if anyone can get it for under a fiver. It's definitely worth picking up, even though I hear that the multiplayer section of that is still kind of in shambles due to issues with the servers and hackers. Okay, James, I'm fresh out of articles for us today. I think it's time we moved on to the long-awaited Completionist Corner. Sting coming soon. Sting coming soon. So welcome back to Completionist Corner. Lovely to have you all here again as always. Gather round. Listen. Come by the fire. Exactly. Stay a while and listen. Um, So just a quick recap on where we got to last week. We had finished our tasks and various business dealings and nonsense on Ferros and Neveria. We had our full crew. We knew what we were doing. We'd killed a bunch of people in Will's case, given bugs acid baths and things like that. And killed a few crooked cops. Oh yeah, certainly did. Big old fight in business buildings, baby. And we did a lot of driving. A lot of driving. A theme that is almost certainly going to continue in this episode. Minor spoiler. I don't actually remember Mass Effect being this drive heavy, to be honest with you. There is a lot of vehicle sections and it's, you know, it's a saving grace that they the vehicle has good physics yeah. and you're very powerful in the vehicle, but geez, there's a lot of them. Yeah, well, dude, imagine how it was in the non-legendary edition when you, to get the full experience gains, you had to get out of your car every five minutes as well to get the kill. I was thinking about that. I was, yeah, as I was going through these areas, I was thinking, actually, do you know what? I would have probably just bit the bullet and just suffered the XP loss through some of these areas that I played through that we'll cover today. It's too extreme, honestly. I think playing it on my hard mode as well, I just wouldn't have wouldn't that's, have done it. That's I'd have just yeah, it would have been too much of a drag to do it. That's fair enough, yeah. But we do get ahead of ourselves slightly because before we get to the the big old drives that we're surely going to get into later, we mentioned last week that our our next port of call was to go to Vermeer, which is sort of where this driving takes place. But before that, there's a couple of little bits and bobs that we can do in the sort of the UNC the I, I don't know what it stands for I think it's like unknown space but I don't know what UNC stands for in the game but that's what the missions are but yes before that we we saved the planet just casually just sort of casual casual planet saviour you know it's the kind of sh- that just Commander Shepard just does on a Tuesday yeah, exactly but for me it was Tuesday. So, on the back of some advice that James gave me last week, that there was an asteroid and a planet in jeopardy that was worth checking out, I arrived on Asteroid 57. Not to be confused with Asteroid 56. Asteroid X57 is an asteroid that has essentially got a load of giant rocket boosters attached to it and is hurtling towards a planet called Terra Nova. The course of trajectory on the asteroid is going to hit near one of the largest cities on Terra Nova and essentially just wipe everyone out. It's going to be an absolute catastrophe. Absolutely. Your mission on the game is to essentially land on the asteroid that's hurling towards the planet, power down all of the thrusters that are making it speed towards the planet, and divert its course. Upon landing on the planet, you discover that there is currently an attack by an alien species who we haven't actually encountered so far into the game. We haven't, no. These guys are called the Batarians, and they have kind of like four eyes, but they look kind of like sort of chimpanzee lizard faces. (laughs) Does that sound about right? Chimpanzee lizard. All right, chimpanzee lizards. Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. Is that the episode title? (laughs) Do you know what they always reminded me of? And they don't look like this necessarily, but you know in Star Wars, there's the alien who's got four eyes and it has almost like an anus face. 
Yeah, I know. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's what it, they reminded me of that for some reason. But uh, these guys, I, I didn't, uh, you know, as as the renegade character, I got to say, I didn't really take much time getting to know them. No. I, I just wiped them out. It was a pretty fast mission where I just spun around the planet, diffusing all of the thrusters. What, three, three Killing thrusters, a load of Batarians. Three, three of them? Three is three in total. Yeah, absolutely. Before then, you kind of go on to the main facility. Yeah. There was a guy that asked me to rescue all his science buddies. Yeah. Um, Didn't do it. Just didn't do it. <laughs> just was like, nope. Uh, nice. I said I found two of them and they were dead. And he was like, yeah, find the third. I was like, mm, go f*** yourself, buddy. Yeah, yeah. And then once you get onto the main facility, you sort of encounter the Batarian leaders that are trying to, you know, their their goal is to sort of create this act of terrorism to get people to listen to them, essentially, isn't it, right? Wanna... Basically, yeah. I mean, they're just space terrorists. So I forget what the guy's name is. Um, I think he, depending on what you do with him, he makes an appearance in a later game. But yeah, he's like a renowned Batarian terrorist. Balak is the dude's name. Tell you what, yeah. man, I made Balak kiss my ball sack. Nice. Perfect. Fighting our way through this planet. There was a lot of good fights on this planet, actually. Were, I'm yeah. kind of glad that I brought Rex along for this yeah. one. He was charging through, stomping everyone, which was great. I've equipped him with a nice shotgun. Yeah, nice. And I also had Tali on this one as well. Ooh. So she was helping with sort of damping abilities because some of them were chucking a load of biotics yeah, yeah, yeah. at me. So I was using Tali to sort of disable those and then pick them up, chuck them around. Very, very good. Ended up running into Balak, the leader of the terrorists, and uh, he was a big nasty, and he threatened <laughs> that essentially he was going to blow up a bunch of scientists in the other room uh, if I didn't comply with him. Yeah, I think I know where this is going. <laughs> yeah, you are presented with a choice. You know, you can. I assume you can do something to save these guys, right? Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll well, whatever that, that was. What <laughs> I'll let you. Yeah, I'll let you. I'll let you finish, James. I'm gonna let you finish. But what I did was obviously just was like, no, I'm just not gonna do. And he's like, oh, you're so stubborn. Oh, f it, and then just blows them. Up. You then go into the next area, and there is actually you can go into the room where <laughs> the explosions took place, and it's just like just a charred out room with just lots of fleshy chunks. Oops. Can I just say, did you kill Balak at this point? Yes, I oh, did kill Balak. That, I was gonna say, and I kind of regretted it, honestly. Yeah. Because at that point, I was really confused what was actually the truly more renegade option. Yeah. And when you do get back and the guy's like, oh my God, I can't believe all these people died. You know, oh, it was terrible. And you're like, yeah, I couldn't do anything. And he was like, yeah, really? You're sure? You couldn't have done anything more to save those guys? And you're like, no, yeah. listen, guy, people die. Yeah. The good guys, we did well this time. Okay, I saved the planet. We just didn't save the scientists. And the guy's like, yeah, I guess you're right. At least Balak's dead, right? And then at that point, I would have loved to have turned around and been like, nah, I'll let him go. Yeah. But I didn't, unfortunately. Yeah. I, I did choose to shoot him because I just, in my head, shooting everyone is probably the most renegade choice there. That's fair. But I would have loved to have seen his reaction to be like, nah, yeah, yeah. he's also still floating around there somewhere. <laughs> Keep an eye out for him, I guess. Yeah, well, it's funny that actually that because uh, the Paragon option for that whole exchange is that you do, you beat, because that Balak fight is really good. You're in quite an open room. There's various levels and there's loads of enemies that come out. Really, yeah, really good fight. Yeah, it's really, it's one of the best firefights in the game I've encountered so far, if not the best. It's probably the best open space one I've encountered for sure. Figures, right, because it's DLC. Exactly. I was able to use a lot of my push and throw abilities and stuff, well, which were really coming handy. in real handy, flipping people off of ledges and over rails and stuff. It's great. The Paragon option sees you have this big old firefight. Balak's then like, what the hell are you doing? Probably similar to what you had. It's like, how about this? It's a deal. You can either let me go and I won't blow up these prisoners or I'm going to blow up these prisoners. I chose to let him go and save the prisoners. Okay, okay. So you spared, I spared him, him as well. Yeah. And the guy that you're saying was like, oh, what? You, at least you killed Balak, right? Exactly the same exchange. But he was like, oh, shit, but is it is it really, at what cost for saving these people? You probably should have killed Balak. And I'm like, oh, damn, <laughs> this guy don't give a f <laughs> All right, so we did the officers. You're like, but a paragon isn't about to just gun a man oh, exactly. down. And my right? guy was like, you know, probably. like... Everyone deserves a second no, I, chance. No, I think son. he said it was something along the lines of, and I am paraphrasing, but it was something along the lines of, yeah, the bad guy got away this time, but we'll get him eventually. Okay, I didn't kill him this time. But it's next basically, time it's sort of like, probably. yeah, the next time I see him, he won't be so lucky, but this, you know, I had to make the call, basically. Is he going to show up in Mass Effect 2? Uh, so I don't know about 2 or 3 or which one he shows up in, but basically I know that if you leave him alive, he can be hired as a war asset. So probably 3. Ah, okay, okay, cool. But I only read that. I don't, I don't know because I've, I never did the DLC when I completed it the first time. So, so on my way out of Terra Nova, I made sure to take the guy's Omni tool. 
Uh, He was complaining for not rescuing quite as many survivors as he would have liked (laughs) or any survivors. I was able to intimidate him into giving me his Omni tool. And God damn, man, we spoke about this off the podcast that this guy has an amazing Omni tool. Yeah, man, I had had that right from the start of the game. That's going to give you increased healing regeneration, which means that I suppose the time in between your healing increases, your biotic recharge cooldown increases... as well as is it something to do with your tech abilities, but it's it's an all round upgrade anyway, and it's amazing. It'd be very good for my character. I've got it on my character. It uh, makes my tech abilities recharge quicker. So if I chuck grenades out and things like that, or if I oh right, if of I course, use, like, yeah, um, yeah. damping or electronics, it makes it load quicker. So no, really useful for me too. And because I got it right at the start, I didn't have to worry about an Omni tool for the rest of the game. It's just like yeah, nothing's as good as that. Of course, it's it's end game level. <laughs> the items cap at ten. So like level 10, uh, so an X because I use Roman numerals. And like yeah, yeah. a lot of the Omni tools I find that are in the X category are just nowhere near as good as this Savant 5. Yeah, I yeah. know exactly what you mean, man. Yeah, instantly you look at the stats bars and the increase that I got was huge. Funny that you say you intimidated him to give me, I was just like, he was like, oh, you saved the planet and my scientists because is there anything I can do? And I was just like, well, do you want to set me your Omni tool guy? I know it's a bit of a tough ask. And he was like, dude, it's a fucking Omni tool. Like you saved lives here have it take it and go like in a really nice way because i also like you mentioned that you couldn't be asked to say find those scientists i I did painstakingly go find all three they're all dead but you know i still found the bodies although yes right absolutely yeah yeah nice fun dlc like it was a nice touch it was only essentially a mission like it was kind of like a side quest almost in terms of length but really nice good narrative really enjoyed the story and i'd never done a dlc before for mass effect one or any of them for that matter so nice touch yeah i gotta say this was the first piece of content I, i you know I said I have sort of played quite far into Mass Effect. This was the first piece of content that was all new to me. So that was really fun. Enjoyed it. Good times. At this point, James, I'm going to hand over to you as you take us through our trip to Vermeer or Vermeer. I've always called it Vermeer. I'm going to call it the Big Vismas. So yes, as as Will has said there, uh, (laughs) heading to Vermeer now. So a little bit of background on Vermeer. It is sort of a lush, tropical, I suppose, beachy planet, for lack of a better phrase. I was getting Halo vibes, James. I was getting Halo flora and fauna vibes, not in terms of the giant ring planet, but more like the kind of the mixture of lush green beach. Yeah. Yeah, it was lovely, isn't it? It's the nicest planet I've been on so far on Mass Effect. It's really nice, yeah. It's funny you say that. I didn't get halo voice but now you've said it yes i do absolutely i you know um in mario kart on the n64 there's that level where you're on the beach reminded me of that shy guy beach is that what it's called probably (laughs) there's probably more the more beach levels than just shy guy beach but yeah it's one i'm most familiar with but yeah no so that was what it reminded me of uh because we're f***ing driving in it as well god damn lots of driving and again that was another weird thing because that level that i'm thinking of specifically in the first Halo, yeah. you do start off with a warthog yeah, for yeah. the most. You, you're kind of like gunning on the beach, and then you jump in a warthog very quickly after. So now you've said it, I know the exact level you're talking about. Yes, yeah, so that's. I can't believe yeah. I didn't make that. Yeah, but um, no. So what happens is, is uh, Joker, your pilot, drops you in in your Mako, and you're sort of first tasked with shutting off a bunch of um, anti-aircraft AA turrets so that um, the Normandy can land. And the sort of basic premise of being here is that there is a Solarian task force sent by the Council who are sort of spying on the planet, looking into what's going on and we need to link up with them uh, so that we can assess the situation and make our next move and what that entails is a f***ing lot of driving basically are we there yet no are we there yet no we get dropped off in our car and you start driving you kill some geth while still in your car you're still f***ing driving think that scene in star wars um, a new hope where luke is in the trenches like before he tries to destroy the death star and he's being chased by tie fighters it's nothing like that at all but that's what it was reminding me of in terms of just being in a f***ing tunnel <laughs> killing a load of <laughs> shit and just like Whoa. You know, do you know what I mean? No, but great comparison. I Thank love you. it. You know that thing that it was like? Yeah. Nothing like yeah. that. But anyway. No, visually, it's nothing like that. But in terms of the action, that's what it reminded me of. Right, yeah. Shooting down a tunnel. Yeah, basically. Yeah, because it's, it's a very linear level, but it's sort of dressed up so nicely that it works. It's kind of weird. Yeah. But yes, yeah, so eventually you do all this. You kill a bunch of geth. You go into some buildings, open some gates, f*** around kill more geth and you finally get to these AA towers and you disable them and that allows the Normandy to land. You then have to drive more. Carbon footprint on this episode is awful. Jeez. Yeah, the way I'm using my boost as oh, well. Oh, don't. 
Me, me like too. Like nobody's yeah. business. God. Between us and Sony with the Leviathan Axe, which is just shocking. <laughs> really is bad. But we eventually, after a load of driving, we arrive at the Solarian camp and we meet up with um, Captain Kirahe, I think his name is, something like that. That's right. Yeah. And uh, he's he's a great chap. We love him. And uh, he, he gives us a lowdown on the situation. They're basically a bunch of um, Solarian sort of spies. They're not really soldiers. And they've been just absolutely wiped out by Saren and the Geth because what it transpires is that Saren's main sort of base of operations is on Vermeer. And that's right. Not only is it completely overrun with Geth and things like that, but they've also been cloning Krogan to sort of breathe. This motherfucker yeah. wants a Krogan army. Know, which is just like insanely scary for us. An army of Geth and an army of Krogan. And bear in mind that this was trying to get the Rachne on side as well. Exactly. Like, this He's picking all of the yeah. mobs of like the scary things. Yeah. And, and just to, I suppose put into context the Krogan. The Krogan are kind of like a race that are particularly well. I, I think I compared them to Klingons did, in a previous yeah. episode. But they're very and much I compared them to, to battle. <laughs> Well, they are frogs in terms of, and this is quite relevant, in terms of the way that they breed. Yeah. Uh, and, and that is accurate. As you find out later on in the game, you'll find like various like birthing rooms, which essentially just look like, uh, it could be like a freshwater salmon farm or something like that. There's just lots of channels and uh, water flowing yeah, and things like basically, that. basically, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, another bit of context to that is that it's not just the fact that the Krogans are extremely strong and battle-hardened, pretty much like straight out the tadpole, I guess, is whatever they come from. <laughs> you will go with that, yeah. But also uh, the fact that, you know, much like frogs, they're capable of having massive breeding sessions. So the, the just the sheer numbers of the force that Saren could create within a short space of time is also sort of a, a big risk there as well. Yeah, couldn't agree more. But what's interesting about this is that because the Krogans as a, as a race are so dangerous and we're getting so out of hand, years and years ago as part of the law of Mass Effect, if you like. The culling. The, well, yes, but the <laughs> Salarians also uh, genetically modified the Krogan with something called the Genophage, which made them Fertile. Right, yeah. So they yes, say they couldn't yeah, breed. Yeah, yeah. At this point, it all gets a bit much for Rex. Yeah, because <laughs> your whole crew's with you. It's not just the people you've brought with you. And Rex, when you hear that Krogan are being bred and like the you know Saren potentially has a cure for the genophage here. Rex gets his knickers in a twist because obviously he's a Krogan. He wants to save the Krogan and like you know make sure they become fertile again so he doesn't lose his race. We we sort of come in and we're like we're going to destroy this facility so that Saren doesn't have a base anymore. And Rex is all like you better not destroy this shit because there's a cure for my people here. And what this leads to is Captain Kirahi saying right I need to prepare my men for like our plan. You want to go talk to that mother because he looks like he's going to turn on you. And I actually, I walked around my crew members and they were like, oh, you should yeah. have a word with Rex. So, you know, yeah. And this is actually a very important point both in this game and in the future games too because depending on your next conversation with Rex, the story can arc off in a couple of different directions here. So Will, I ask you, what happened when you spoke to Rex? So as you mentioned, uh, Rex is particularly preoccupied with the fact that this could be the essentially the anti-genophage and, and resurrect yeah. his species. Yeah, and he's caring so much about it that he's just shooting shotgun rounds into the f***ing air before you go talk to him. <laughs> That's right. It's, I think he's, he's trying to like, I think he's shooting them in the river yeah. as well. It looks like he's trying to skim shotgun shells across the Yeah, water. which I thought was just a nice touch. At that point, he obviously expresses his feelings about it. He says that he's not happy about the whole thing. I say something pretty unsympathetic, <laughs> pretty I would say. I definitely... <laughs> not showing any sympathy at all for this to the point where he essentially just pulls out his gun and aims it at me and uh, I reciprocate by pulling out my gun and it starts to get to this very tense moment where you're essentially provided with three options you've either got shoot yep which I'm surprised you didn't go for if you didn't honestly uh, I actually went for the intimidate option because again I just figured the intimidate would be the most renegade option I did get plus nine renegade points at the end of that conversation what do you reckon do you reckon I mean Honestly, shooting Rex at that point does seem like the more renegade option, but I'm just going by the assumption that if I have to intimidate someone, that's renegade. It depends on your definition of renegade, right? Yeah, well, no, it depends on the game's definition of renegade, yeah. really. I was going to say, I know yeah. that sounds like a really stupid and uh, almost smart-ass thing to say. I don't mean it to be. But if you see it as the pure evil, which I personally don't... No, renegade doesn't right. mean evil. But no. if that's how you see it, then you're killing Rex. Like, that's the choice. I see it as ruthlessly efficient whilst being a dick, and therefore I follow your camp, intimidate 
Day options whenever it's there. Yes, right. You've done that for the Paragon sort of thing, I suppose. I suppose, to be yeah. fair, though, the option between shooting Rex and Paragon is seems like a much further difference than my character's current, like, way of dealing with things. So essentially, at that point, with both our guns drawn, I use the Intimidate option, which essentially just tells him to get a grip, yeah. and he needs to understand that we need to get in and do this, the mission comes first. Yeah. He eventually comes round, lowers his gun, and we go about the mission. Now that's interesting. How did you get on on your section? Uh, so basically exactly the same, but I used the Paragon one, and uh, my Shep sort of Julius, Big Jules, uh, he sort of said, um, like, I know this is tough, but do you really think that these are actually going to be your people? Like, these are just, like, clones that Saren's made, they're mindless, they're violent. Is that what you want? Or do you actually want to, like, sort this out, and then we can look for a cure later sort of thing? And Rex sort of pauses for a moment, lowers his gun, and he's like, I, I know you're right, Shepard. I don't like it, but you're right, yeah. I don't like it, but I trust you. After this tense encounter with Rex, everyone's very relieved that you've sorted it out from there you go back to captain kirahi uh he then gives a, a pretty motivational speech actually mate it wasn't a patch on our motivational oh, speeches that we nothing gave nothing like and if i have to kill all of you to achieve my goals damn it i will but uh, you know it was a really inspirational speech he's sort of giving it the whole we're not soldiers we're spies but i i trust you all with my lives i value each and every single one of you i know we can do it but actually, I kind of need one of your guys too, Shep. He then comes over to us, and uh, you're given a choice at this point. He requests that you send someone with him to help his part of the mission, because the plan is that him and his men are going to sort of attack the front of the facility and almost act as a distraction for you, Shepard, and a couple of your companions to sort of sneak around the back and sort of try and disrupt things. Because Ashley and Caden are sort of your... They're the first two people you get. They're like your your OGs, if you like. <laughs> For me, it was more like, oh, you guys are still here? <laughs> I've just been chilling with Rex and Garrus and yeah. Tali and Liara and anyone but you two for the whole game. Yeah, exactly. I was like, why the f*** are you two here? Like, Garrus and Rex should be over here, like, conspiring with me. Not you, It'd be cool if the game actually made you choose on the two characters that you have the most playtime with, so it's actually a significant oh, decision. Oh, that would be... Because we're getting ahead of ourselves, but yeah. it wasn't a significant decision for me, I'll just tell oh, you that me much. I, I <laughs> knew what I was doing, as I always know what I'm doing in this situation, because I pick the same person each time. Um, but we are getting slightly ahead of ourselves, because that's actually the next choice. This choice is strictly who wants to come with uh, Captain Kirahi to the front assault, and who wants to stay with Shep and his crew. But yeah, they sort of have a little argument, Caden and Ashley. I decided that I would send Ashley with the Salarian team because uh, well, the rationale being, honestly, she's more combat-focused, so I thought she'd be better for that sort of thing. What was your choice in this instance, Will? Yeah, no, I, I trash-canned Ashley straight away. Chucked Ashley straight in there, yeah. Ashley went straight to the Salarian guys, right on the front lines. Nice. So we're aligned. <laughs> yeah, we're aligned on that, yeah. We both go off on our separate ways we start the mission and a key thing that you can do you don't have to do this but you can do it is that as you're heading to the main building there are sort of various points on the map you can go to where you can disrupt the geth to help captain kirahi and his team have an easier time of it disable their comm station yeah. help them win a fight in in all of these areas there's also actually an actual gun battle going on you have to tend to be like you fight your way to a keypad yeah, yeah, or yeah. something to disable something that's helping the game exactly and you can like disrupt some of their they've got like flying attack drones and they are refueling you can destroy them all while they're at the refueling bay and things like that this section took me like five minutes. I beelined the objective and didn't do any of that. The whole time I was just laughing to myself, like, Ashley is getting f***ed. <laughs> and you keep on hearing over the radio, like, there's too many of them! <laughs> Whereas I was doing all of this and helping out where I could. Yeah, no, there was none of that whatsoever. Um, I did, I, I pressed one of the keypads and I realised that that was happening. I immediately thought, oh, this is going to be optional, isn't yeah. it? And uh, I think I, yeah, I didn't do anything after that. Kirahi died after like two or three minutes. <laughs> yeah. As you sort of make your way to the main facility bit, you're doing these optional things or not doing them, uh, depending on your playstyle, as we've said. Uh, you make it to the main facility and basically you just go in and you clearing geth you're trying to make your way to um saren's sort of mainframe if you like just try and figure out what is here like is there any information you can use that will help you get to the conduit yeah you see uh, all these breeding areas as will was mentioning earlier for the krogan you see loads of tanks and things which presumably had krogan in them at some point all sorts of nonsense and by this time you're not just getting attacked by geth you are also getting attacked by krogan and interestingly also you're getting attacked by a bunch of salarians who look like they could be kirahi's men indoctrinated they're called 
And this is interesting with these indoctrinated Salarians because we did actually touch in a previous, last week's episode, funnily enough, that when we met with Matriarch Benezia, she had said that she had started to sort of be mind-controlled by Sovereign, which is Saren's ship. At this stage, this is just a nice sort of footnote. You're like, oh, indoctrinated Salarians. That's interesting. Things become a lot more apparent when you finally get into sort of the heart of the facility. You meet up with a random Asari who has said that she was sort of a volunteer almost and was basically working on Saren's stuff and just... Boring! Put a bullet to her head. Oh, you killed her. Nice, nice. Straight up, straight up. I let her go, but I had fun with it. Of course. Because you you let her go and you sort of say, basically, I'm going to blow this facility up so if you want to survive you can f*** off now and she panics and is all like oh, but how am I going to get away I don't have a ship and runs off Garrus just sort of turned to me snidely and goes you enjoyed that didn't you <laughs> and I was just like yeah yeah I did but yeah so then she opened an elevator I went uh, well, we went down to Saren's archive I suppose if you like and not much of note in here except for a second Prothean beacon not too dissimilar to the one we found on Eden Prime right at the start of the game and we didn't learn any lessons whatsoever no hesitation whatsoever yeah. in inspecting just f***ing walked up to it did the whole Jesus pose again I guess at that point you're probably a bit more confident given that you've mind melded with Liara at that point and she can kind of make sense of your vision scarred into your head a little bit well yeah that and also um you've uh, obviously mind melded with that other asari who helped you with the thorian that's uh, right and so yeah. you can you now think like a prothean too so it all sort of it's just a bit easier everything and at this point really you don't get a lot more you get a similar sort of video clip and soundscape to what you've got with your life i didn't notice any difference at all yeah. to be honest but the difference being is that when you try and leave this room you get a cutscene where you get a vi call from sovereign the ship now, how the f*** does this work? How can a ship talk to you? Everyone's confused, aren't they? They think it is a, an AI thing, yeah. right? Or a VI. Except for yeah. Shep, who's like, you're a f***ing Reaper, son. I know this. Which is obviously a huge reveal, because it's basically saying what you've known all along, because you had the vision right at the start of the game, but now everyone else can see, yeah, the Reapers are real. This one's actually talking to us. You have like a nice little bit of dialogue with it. You can sort of learn a bit of history. It's very sort of condescending and sort of just like, yeah, you guys are beneath us. You wouldn't even fathom our intelligence. We're, we're gonna kill you the most interesting tidbit out of that conversation for me came when they basically explained that unlike we described i think in the first or second part of our mass effects completionist corner we suggested that the mass effect relays were created by the protheans who were this advanced alien race blah 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 it actually goes one layer deeper and it's in fact the reapers which is our name for them they don't refer to themselves as reapers protheans were just kind of a greater but another one of us in a way in the sense that the reapers came before them they laid out the evolutionary pattern they laid out the technology and the mass relays for the protheans to discover well and the people before the protheans like it's it's absolutely old goes a long way back it goes way back so in fact all of this technology that we thought was based on prothean technology is actually as a result of the reapers and they've essentially predetermined our existence by the chance of leaving shit around for us to find and study and discover and not and not just that they also i don't know if we touched on them in great detail but there's an alien species called the Keepers that sort of keep the Citadel running. And they don't talk, That's they're right, just yeah. organics that just sort of do their own thing. And you find out in this conversation that the Reapers didn't invent them, but they potentially bred them into servitude or indoctrinated them so heavily because potentially they were more susceptible to it so that they just do whatever the Reapers say. And they just keep the Citadel running. And there's some shit you find out that you haven't quite got to yet that also would come into this. So, that's a huge revelation. Turns out it was the Reapers who did everything, and actually the Protheans aren't all that special. No, exactly, and the the Reapers basically just come across as the harbingers of the apocalypse. They basically just, uh, they control all organic life, for whatever reason. Uh, And they have a sort of a, what, what, what would you call these? You know, thousand year, no more. When do they? When do they hit the reset button? It's whenever they think the organics have gotten too big for their boots. Right, and then they swoop in and wipe us all yeah. out again. So yeah, you've sort of discovered what's going on, and Sovereign cuts off. You leave um, Saren's sort of secret room, and you get a call from Joker, your pilot, and he says, uh, "Just so you know, boss, Sovereign has just done a." F- sharp u-turn that would kill any other ship like it would split a ship in half someone doing a turn this extreme once again kind of implying it's a living being that kind of defies physics of spaceships which of course (laughs) we know but joker doesn't at this point and he says sovereign is now coming back to vermeer at a f***ing pace you want to hurry yourself up so we do uh conveniently whilst we've been talking to sovereign a bridge has dropped just outside the room we were in so 
we can now continue on to the inner part of the facility. And a few more Geth and Krogan kills later, we end up at the point where we're going to put a nuclear bomb to blow up the facility. And whilst we're doing so, we get a call. Well, I say we. I don't know how yours played out. I've never had Captain Kirihi die. But on my one, what happened was Ashley called and was like, yo, we're being super overrun, like, we're just not going to make it. And my shepherd was like, hang fire, I'm going to come save you. And I left Caden to sort the bomb out. Just like, yo, bro, you got this. I'm going to go save Ashley. You do your thing. Is that similar to what happened with you? Yeah, that, that exactly how that lines up? up exactly with what I did. Cool, yeah, cool. yeah. You then sort of leave the area where the bomb is and you're sort of heading to where Ashley is. And when you're sort of an area further on, you get a call from Caden saying, yo, a Geth ship has just dropped a bunch of troops in here. I'm not going to make it now. I'm going to arm the bomb. And this is where the choice happens. <laughs> Typically in a Bioware RPG, there is always a big old choice, particularly in these ones where they carry over data from one game to the next one. And this choice is actually has the potential to be a quite a hard hitting one, depending on how your your squad has been made up and who you vibe with and things. You have you are given the choice of carrying on to go and save Ashley or running back to the bomb and saving Caden. The other one dies. You, you, you won't see him again. Nada gone. The survivor survives. This choice obviously has the potential to be tough, but for me, it's the easiest choice in the game every single time. Likewise. Bye, Ashley. Oh, wow. You, you picked <laughs> Ashley too, huh? Because I was going to... For me, it's the easiest choice. I don't like Ashley. I, I, I've never vibed with that character. She's not a bad character. Um, I have my reasons. She's she's pretty space racist. Big old space racist. Uh, she complains a lot about the aliens on board. She does. And, and she pulls no punches. She blames them for everything. Like, don't not a fan. Not a fan. So I, I always sacrifice Ashley. It's not even a two-second thought for me. And uh, the only time it's ever been a consideration was I was considering romancing Ashley in, in one file but i just can't do it i just can't do it i don't like <laughs> she's too irritating she is, i just don't like her so yeah for me it was ashley and, and by the sounds of it it was for you too yeah she was uh immediately forgotten the moment caden said a gaff ship was coming that sounded way more interesting yeah. and after like not doing anything to help her for the whole game i wish that had a bit more of a bearing on whether she actually survives or not so i think i know that it's the decision you make right then and there but i think up until that point it would have been cool if she could have died perhaps even before that point do you know what i mean if you just hadn't done <laughs> anything to help them yeah but i suppose kirahi is the person that lives or dies based on that then. yeah so for like, my one doing all the optional stuff kirahi survives but ashley still dies um like ashley dies whatever it's just is what it is and yeah but ashley was still like it's been a pleasure i've loved every minute of it it's been an honor serving with you and i was just like you too williams and then never spoke to her again because she died that side of it aside i also agree with what wills just said i also think that running back and maybe not f***ing up the nuclear bomb thing which is the whole reason for you to be there is probably more pressing than saving ashley yeah 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 i ran back to caden as did will uh, you have a little fight with some geth nothing too major but then hold up wait a minute something ain't right Saren shows up doesn't he I want to get your opinion on this before I talk about it too much because before you sort of have the fight with Saren there's a bit of dialogue a little bit of a back and forth I'd like you to tell me how yours went yeah so in this conversation you essentially discover that Saren actually isn't yet being mind controlled by Sovereign his free will is his own I'm pretty sure he does say my free will is still my yeah, own he says that yeah his opinion on it is that the more passive and subservient you are to Sovereign, the more control you can retain of yourself. Whereas the more that you fight it, the more you're going to become a mindless drone, essentially. And that's kind of Saren's perspective on where he's at with his relationship. Uh, he may well be a little bit Stockholmed. Massively, yeah. <laughs> Sounds like he probably is. But essentially, his his opinion is that he is still his own man and he is essentially there to sort of go along with Sovereign, but also retain his self. And his essential best aspiration for the rest of all humankind, alien kind, all kinds... Organics, yeah. Yeah, organics, right, is essentially we just become a race of subservient slaves for them because survival is better than being completely wiped out. Basically, yeah. And my stance was pretty much... Much, I would rather fight a die than fight a slave. Slave a fighter, die a, die a s slave, fight, <laughs> fight a slave. You'd rather fight a slave than die trying. Yeah, I'm number one, so why try harder? No, that's not it. But <laughs> words, words to that effect. Yeah, <laughs> in in some order, a phrase, in an order, something like yeah. that. But anyway, the the cut of the gist, the cut of the gist, cut the, jib. the gist, the jib, cut of the jib. I like your jib. 
Anyway, um, the outcome of the conversation is that Shepard says that he does not want to be a slave and he wants to die fighting. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, mine went slightly differently, but yeah. In not so many words. Yeah. I tried to paragon him like, no, it's not too late. You can still be on our side and help us. And you see him sort of struggle internally with it, which I always think is really cool. Okay, I didn't get that extra layer to his character. Yeah, and it's interesting you say that because I picked it up as Saren thinks that he's not indoctrinated because you find out in the facility that people that are indoctrinated sort of lose their abilities over time. Like they get weaker, they... they not as good a shot and all that good stuff and they eventually just die and Saren said something along the lines of my saving grace is that I'm still f***ing awesome that's his rationale for thinking yeah I'm not indoctrinated but it, it, like, it's so clear that he is um, he just doesn't see it but also he's not suffering the effects of it because he's such a, a bitch to Sovereign yeah like Sovereign's definitely keeping him strong because Sovereign needs him to enact its plan right yeah kind of hard doing a business deal when you're like a kind of a yeah. A thousand feet long alien cyborg spaceship. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, no, so we have that. And uh, I think regardless of how you play it, you end up having a, a sort of slight gunfight with Saren. And Saren at this point is on, like, think of the Green Goblin from Spider-Man. He's, I was just about to say, He's on, like, say, one of them yeah, hoverboard the type things. Yeah. <laughs> just looking slightly less like Willem Dafoe. But only slightly. Only slightly, yeah. But yeah, you have a sort of, a quite average fight, really. It's not too tough at this stage. A couple more geths show up to help, but really you just... I mean, I hit Saren in the head three or four times with my sniper and that was it. I'm playing on hard mode, so it was a little bit more of a battle. But no, honestly, there were harder fights on Asteroid X-57, yeah. to be honest with you, than the Saren fight. As long as you've got a comfy place to stay covered and your AI bodies actually somehow stay alive, yeah. you tend to be okay. Yeah, and neither of those things was really an issue in the arena you fight him in. There's plentiful cover. Despite him being on a hoverboard, he doesn't really ever fly behind you, I found. No, he just kind of hovers, really. Yeah. It's just like hanging around right in the open yeah. there for you to shoot. And he's only using a pistol. F***ing caned him, basically. And uh, he then flies off once you've beaten him, sort of gives you a look as like, oh, I'll see you again, you f***er. Uh, and then you you go help Caden, you set the bomb, and you f*** off in the Normandy. Cue cool scene of explosion on the planet and a ship flying past the camera. And also another thing that we f***ing destroyed in this game. Wild card, bitches! You have a sort of debrief on the Normandy again with your whole crew. Presumably this happened for you too. I had another mind meld with Liara and basically the whole yep, thing yep. gets pieced together. The vision comes into pure focus and the outcome is essentially that this vision was a warning message sent by the Protheans for other Protheans and it gives you the coordinates of a quote-unquote safe place for Protheans to meet should they uh, be alive. Join the resistance. And this is a planet called Ilos, which is our next port of call. You then are locked into going back to the Citadel. You go back to your galaxy map to try and fly somewhere else. And it just says, right, we're taking you back to the Citadel. That's um, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. we go back to the Citadel. You talk to the council. They say, thanks, but you're not f***ing doing anything else. We're not sending you to Ilos. You fight tooth and nail to be like, but guys, Saren's there. I need to stop him. And they're just like, nah, man, like, you've, you've done enough. They're basically like, ah, we'll just see what yeah, he does. We, He's probably not going to do yeah. anything out there. He was trying to build a spider army, getting involved in mind yeah. control. Breeding Krogans. A Krogan army. Yeah. He's <laughs> working with a Reaper. But they, these guys still don't believe the Reapers exist. Shepard, yeah. seriously, he's exhausted all of the bad guy tropes. Yeah. There's nothing exactly. more he can it's do. Ridiculous. And, and the only saving grace is at this stage they do commit to have the fleet guard the Citadel. But it's, yeah, it's just like, are you guys seriously that short-sighted? And almost as like a kick in the nuts to sort of say, oh, and by the way, even if you're thinking of helping without us wanting you to, uh, you can't do that because we f***ing grounded your ship. We turned off your engines, yeah. Shepard. It's literally you. ridiculous, and you obviously kick off about it, you tell them that they're short-sighted, and you head off, tail between your legs, dejected. And that, my friends, is where we're going to leave Completionist Corner for this week. Oh, leaving on a bit of a sour note there, I like it. Has Saren won? Do we get off the Citadel? Epic foreshadowing. So yeah, look at that, ending on a little tease, a cliffhanger. Ooh, suspense. Okay, as James has said, that's us wrapped up for a week on another section of Completionist Corner. And with that, I think it's time to close off the show. 
You can, as always, find the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts by searching for Total Pod Mode. We also post regular video content of our playthroughs, stream highlights, as well as the podcast on our YouTube channel, Total Pod Mode. And you can also find us on Twitter by searching for at Total Pod Mode, all one word. Or you can find me at Hoodafunk on Twitter, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Hoodafunk. And you can find me on Twitter at Mr. Bames, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Mr. Bames underscore tpm okay guys that's us for another week thanks again for listening this far we'll see you next time have a good week you cheeky f-ers.